Hey parents, welcome to episode number 78 of the Wonder of Parenting podcast. My name is Tim Wright along with Dr. Michael Gurian. Michael, it's good to have you as always. You too. Thanks. Thanks for being with me. So we're going to do something a little bit different today, um, but it's still going to be very pertinent. Uh, We have mentioned many times on this podcast that the overwhelming number of questions that we receive are from parents or grandparents of boys. And it's not that we don't care about the issues of girls. We certainly care, and we've done a number of podcasts on them. It's just that we live in a culture right now where boys have been underserved, and so parents who are raising boys are really looking for resources to help them with their boys, as are many educators, as they look at their classrooms and they see that their boys are just not doing as well. Uh, I was at uh, my grandson's uh, school the other day, and uh, he was on the honor roll, which is a really big deal for him because he's got some learning disabilities. And so we were really, really proud of him. And uh, so they were giving out various awards, and they started with some citizenship awards. And it was fascinating to me that it was usually two to three to one girls getting the citizenship awards over boys because it tends to be about behavior. Uh, but Michael, you'll be curious to know that um, when it came to the honors roll, uh, it was pretty much even, boys and girls who'd received A's and B's. Uh, what was interesting, though, was more girls were on the president's list, which was A's. More girls than boys on that. Uh, mm-hmm. So what we want to talk about today is a um, uh, an experience that Michael created several years ago uh, to help communities, parents, uh, Churches, faith communities, education communities, government agencies, um, nonprofits, behavioral health systems, to help them come together to talk about how we can help our boys. And so we want to give you some background on that and then provide uh, some insights into how you might be able to uh, harness the energy of this topic in your own community. and uh, I want to, before we do that, just once again give a shout out to our sponsors. They're making it possible for us to talk about this today and possible for you to listen to these podcasts free of charge. And they are the center of Place of Hope up in the Seattle area. You can connect with them on thewonderofparenting.com, wonderofparenting.com. And uh, Greg Jantz and his crew are great people. Greg's written a lot of books. If you just go to his website and look at the different topics he's written about, you'll find something there, I'm sure, that will be of interest to you or your family members. And uh, there's also resources on wonderofparenting.com about, uh, or that Michael has provided, that I've provided. And you can submit your questions, and we usually get to listeners' questions. And today is kind of a listener's question, but not a specific one. And it's, it's to try to help us tackle the issues that our boys are facing. So, Michael, paint a picture for us of boyhood in the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, you hit it on the head, nail on the head when you said most of the questions we get are about boys. And, and the reason is that they're underserved. And the interesting thing is that to say that, seems seems countercultural. We have a we have a sort of um, a public image of what's going on with sex and with gender, with female and with male. And that public image is is and continues to be that girls are underserved, that women are underserved. And of course you and I and the Gurian Institute, your team, none of our teams are 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 pitting girls and boys against each other or males and females, right? We've kind of transcended that. We're we're looking to help everyone. Um, and at the same time, in what's in the public consciousness, that that idea or that trope that's in the public consciousness, 
that girls are suffering and boys are doing great is is not correct. And uh, while some girls are suffering, boys are not doing great. And in fact, in most of the statistical markers right now in the um, uh, in the developed world, uh, in the 72 countries we think of as industrial, post-industrial, or first world, um, boys are behind girls in just about every marker. And the World Health Organization actually came out and said that uh, a few years ago and said, okay, folks, <laughs> you know, the, the population that's uh, that's underserved is actually boys. If you had to pick between boys and girls, it's actually boys. And um, of course, they're not picking, but they're trying to make that point. So when I go out and speak, and this is part of what has been happening now for, about, for me about 15, 20 years, actually, um, but especially around 10 years ago, I started to notice that I would go out and speak and I would, my, my, many of my talks are called the minds of boys and girls. So they're covering both. Um, and I always ask, and like just two weeks ago, I was in Dallas, I did the same thing. We had 500 people in the audience. They were all parents and, and citizens, people, grandparents, folks from, uh, from six schools, um, 500 people. I asked, okay, the title of this talk was the minds of boys and girls. You came here. How many of you, your most, um, burning questions were about girls. And there were a few hands came up, maybe 20. And how many of you, your, your, you know, your most burning questions were about boys. And there were, you know, like 200 that came up. Now that means about 300 people just didn't raise their hand. Um, <laughs> right. Right. I mean, they just didn't want to raise their hand, but, but that's still a huge difference. And then I asked, you know, how many of you have girls? It was um, maybe around a quarter. How many of you have boys? It was, that was maybe around three quarters, because then how many of you have both boys and girls? And of course, a lot of people have both. So that means that people with both boys and girls, um, still they're burning questions about trying to help these boys. And as you identified, um, and as you and I have talked about in the past with audiences, there are thousands of programs right now to help girls, literally thousands. And there are almost none to help boys. And, um, uh, and, and so the landscape is a very difficult one. Most of the homeless are boys. Most of the school failures are boys. Most of the school to prison pipeline are boys. Um, preschool to prison pipeline are boys. The uh, grades, 70% of the Ds and Fs are boys. And behavioral disorders, about three to one. You know, um, learning disabilities, about three to one. Three boys for every one girl. Uh, and I could go on and on. So the landscape is really not good for boys. In the last 10 years, I think parents and governments, governmental agencies, schools, they have awoken to this. They've seen it. They can see as soon as they disaggregate their data for sex, um, they look at male, female, and they go, oh, my gosh, you know, I have 10 girls failing and I have 200 boys. There's something wrong with my system. And um, and that's what our work is about. And so the Helping Boys Thrive um, it grew out of the minds of boys and girls. It grew out of boys and girls learn differently, which is our which is our baseline program for professional development for both boys and girls. Um, but it grew out of that because there was so much demand to try to help boys. And so, about six seven years ago, we developed Helping Boys Thrive, and you you came into it with me pretty quick, right after a year or two. Yep, I think you joined yep. as a partner. Yeah, and then so for the last five or six years, you and I have been going out and doing these summits together the Helping Boys Thrive Summits. So you sent me a chart uh, a couple weeks ago, and, let, and and these are just a few more stats. And uh, some people love stats. I love stats. Some people don't. So I won't bore you with all of them. But just to uh, further the point, uh, this says, for every 100 girls and women 
who take AP honors courses in art and music, 54 boys take the course. Uh, For every 100 girls, women who earn an associate's degree, 63 men or boys. Um, For every 100 girls registered in U.S. graduate schools, 73 young men. Uh, For every 100 girls who earns a bachelor's degree, 74 men. Uh, for every 100 girls who earns a master's degree, 74. Uh, we, we get this sense in culture that girls are behind boys in school, but these don't suggest that at all. They say it's, it's just the opposite. Um, a couple others that are a bit more negative. Um, the uh, Let's see, for every 100 girls who repeat kindergarten, 145 boys do. For every 100 girls or women who are homeless, it's 154 men. Um, For uh, 100 girls, every 100 girls or women uh, who are diagnosed from ages 4 to 17 with ADHD, it's 237 boys. Um, For every 100 girls ages 15 to 19 who die by suicide, 293 boys die by suicide. So not only are boys falling behind girls in education, But in social issues, they are hurting more deeply, it seems, than girls in most cases. And and you were one of the early ones to say, we can help our boys without uh, having a negative impact on our girls, which a lot of people really struggle with. They think if we help our boys, we're going to hurt our girls. Yeah, I hear that. I hear people say, like, people will hear these statistics and they'll hear, and we want to give credit to Mark Perry, by the way, at University of Michigan, for those statistics, and he developed them in concert with Tom Mortensen at the Pell Institute. So um, uh, these are these are right on statistics, right? They're looking at at throughout the industrial world, and then especially in the U.S. Yep. And they're taking data from all the government agencies and CDC, et cetera, and they put them right there when they lay out these stats, so everyone can go to the original sources um, in the government. So. So, you know, I'll, I'll talk about these or you'll talk about these and people will say, well, if you're doing this, then you must be anti-girl or anti-female. And I'll hear people say this and, you know, and this has been going on for the 30 years that I've been writing books and, and talking about this, um, even despite the fact that I've written, what, six or seven books on girls and on women, people will still say, well, if you talk about boys, then you're anti-girl. And we got to get out of that. That gender war is killing us. Um, it's one of the biggest social problems, I believe, that we face, but it's under the surface. And so people don't realize that the gender war is causing so, so much distress um, among males because, because of the gender war, we can't get social programs to help guys. And one of the, a study that came out from Moses and Bogus uh, in 2014 that I quote in, in Saving Our Sons, that study uh, identified that the two primary ways that males can get treatment options or uh, social program options uh, commensurate with what girls and women can get in multiple ways is they have to j- join the criminal justice system, so they have to become a criminal, um, uh, or go to prison, right, which are connected. Well, that's that's not good, <laughs> you know. That we can't we can't have that. That's a that means we're going to keep losing more and more males. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna keep helping females, which by the way we're never gonna stop doing, right? We're gonna do that. We're gonna help females, but we have to help these guys, and we have to stop seeing it as a war. So so when I give those stats, you know, I'll I'll say, now remember, I'm a father of daughters. I've written all these books on girls. So if you hear me as being anti-girl, that's on you. 
what I'm actually doing is I'm actually pointing out a real disaster. You know, what I, what I started calling a boy crisis about 25 years ago, a real disaster. And it's only getting worse. And it's going to ultimately negatively affect girls because there won't be a marriage pool of educated guys. That stat you gave about, um, you know, for every 100 associate uh, degrees and then for every 100 bachelors, um, males are getting 74 or 59. That's a vast educational difference. Right. And that negatively affects every family. We really want males to be more educated. We can't push education so much toward females that males don't go and they're not educated. And that's just to me metaphorical of all the layers of distress for males in, in our culture. And that's that's why the Helping Boys Thrive, why we go do this. We, we always are very, you know, people come who have daughters. I mean, there's no, because we're not negative about anyone. And, and then they get insights on their daughters by helping, by our yes. helping them understand boys. Yeah. And one of the things that I've, I've learned from you is um, when we help our daughters, uh, it doesn't always help our boys. Uh, it can, but it doesn't always. But when we help our boys, it almost always helps our daughters. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Yeah, yeah. And what you're getting at there is, for instance, when we when we wanted to help girls to bet to get better grades in math yep we did two things to help them one was we altered the way we test for math and said um okay it's not going to be enough anymore to get the right answer you need to you're going to be graded on how you write it up and we knew everyone knew who, who generated this concept that girls um birth to 20 are in the aggregate better writers than boys that they spend more time writing and, and by the way, there are guys like you and me who are good writers, but we're talking about in the aggregate. Well, we've talked in previous podcasts of why doing words on both sides of the brain, connecting words to senses, you know, at, words to memories, etc. Girls tend to get better grades in writing um, in the aggregate. So, so everyone knew, well, you know, if we do this, we can get those girls' math scores up. And it has worked. Um, so girls not only, uh, and boys, not only get the right answer, but they will write it up and they'll get graded on how they write it up. So that helped girls. That's something that didn't help boys. 
Um, in fact, it harmed a lot of boys because boys would get the right answer quickly, let's say, a particular boy gets it quickly, but he really is not a good writer. And math is not necessarily a place that a human being has to be a really good writer, um, right? This is an artificial thing that we've set up. Math is sequential. You work out the problem, right? It's a problem solving. It's not problem solve and write an essay. It's problem solving. So that male brain that puts that goes right to the, the temporal parietal lobule and the inferior um, parietal lobule that does math, you know, it, it goes right there, it, it solves the problem, and then it gets docked, and it gets a C uh, or a B minus because the writing wasn't good. And, you know, I'm not saying we don't want boys to be better writers, but that's an example of where we did something for girls and and it harmed boys. And whereas, whereas if we do something to improve boys' learning, it, it often helps girls. For instance, when we go into schools and do training, we're always training teachers to get everyone up and moving. And the reason we want them to have uh, the kids, the, their students, up and moving every 10, 15 minutes is because the male brain tends to go to a rest state if it's just sitting. The female brain doesn't. So, so females sit for 50 minutes and are more likely to be able to concentrate. Um, but there's gonna be five to seven boys in there who their brains are gonna hit what we call a rest state or a boredom state. They can't concentrate, their memory centers are shutting down. And I show PET scans, as you know, when our Helping Boys Thrive Summits, I show scans of this so everyone can see how different the male and female brain are. And so we, so the teachers get boys up and moving, but of course it's a co-ed classroom. So they get everyone up and moving, right? Well, that's actually great for the girls. Now they don't need it urgently like the boys do to keep their brains engaged and awake. They don't need it for that, but it's great for developing the spatial parts of their brain, which we want them to develop. Um, it's great for um, uh, just health. It's, you know, it's not sedentary. It gets them up and moving. So that's something that's good for boys. It's also good for girls. And does that give a kind of an image of how these things yes, are different? Yeah. And and one of the things that you have shown again and again is when you go into these schools and school districts and you teach these things that are more friendly to a boy's brain, the, the grades go up for boys and girls. And girls. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a kind of a flaw in the gender war. Like there's some people out there who, who will say, well, yeah, that's a gender stereotype. They'll say like the ACLU's into this, um, uh, they're, they're so good on so many issues, but on the gender war, they're not good. They have aligned with some folks who argue, well, you know, if you say anything about male-female difference, even if you base it in science, which I do, they'll say, no, you're gender stereotyping. So if you say um, that, that boys need to move around more than girls do to learn, that's a gender stereotype, that's anti-girl, you know, anti where, where the science is really clear on it. And, and um, all of the things that we're involved in are all science-based. They're all you know, scan-based, we can show it on scans. Um, and we have to come to, we have to get to the point where we can push beyond this sort of false gender stereotype thing and get right to brain sex and right to learning and right to improvement of learning. And these strategies do improve learning and they do improve test scores for both males and females. And they do improve um, girls in STEM because We've done a podcast on that. We'll probably do it again. There's certain areas where the male brain more quickly de develops these gray matter areas, inferior parietal lobule. We want females to get more access to that. If we want them to be better at higher math and engineering, it helps them, right? That's girls in STEM. It helps them. It helps boys read more. You know, so all of the goals we have as a society 
more literacy, better STEM, et cetera. Those goals are met and we can show it statistically with grades, with test scores, and then with discipline referrals. And if people want to test that out, they can go to GuerreanInstitute.com, go to the success page. You're going to see co-ed schools, single sex schools, Montessori schools. You're going to see every kind of school and you're going to see how those grades, those test scores went up after this theory and these strategies were applied. You you mentioned uh, STEM, and, and it's it's fascinating to me that we, we sort of live in this culture. We don't want to make a distinction between male and female, but we understand that girls are not doing as well as boys in STEM, uh, which is one of the few areas where girls are not doing as well as boys in school. And so we're putting a lot of emphasis right now on getting girls caught up in STEM, but boys are far more behind girls in uh, literacy and, and uh, verbal skills in, in schools than girls are behind boys in STEM, and yet we're not ha- putting a lot of emphasis on getting our boys caught up in that area, which I, to me suggests another area we tend to be blinded by old storylines and um, that our boys do need some special care. Yeah, and we can do both. You know, the thing is that, right. that males are 10 points behind females in literacy, uh, females are 2.5 points-ish, between 2.5 and 3 points, behind boys in math science, right? So males are 10 points behind. They're three times as far behind in literacy. And um, and the and as you're saying, most of our public consciousness, and therefore the drive on school boards, et cetera, to fund, and then for corporations to fund, because, uh, you know, Microsoft, these corporations put a lot of money in the National Science Foundation in funding girls in STEM research and best practices, um, which is great. That's really great. Uh, don't want to take that away. But your point is correct that that ten males are 10 points behind in literacy. And what we really need, if the National Science Foundation is going to spend $4 billion on girls in STEM, um, we need to find another organization to be spending $4 billion to help schools with boys and literacy, but it's not politically correct. And it's a gender war. And, and it's all the stuff that you started out talking about that all exists. It exists in school boards. It exists in, um, uh, in universities. And that's really where it's generated. It comes out of universities. The academic world has gone very, very, um, anti-male and it's unfortunate. Um, but it's gone anti-male and that's, those are the folks, you know, they come out of academia and then they enter education or they enter government um, and they're anti-male. And yet the grassroots, the schools, you know, the, the, the faith communities, the nonprofits, they're dealing with males, right? I mean, they're dealing with females, but they're also dealing with males. And they're trying to navigate this anti-male bias in, in the whole culture to just try to get some funding to help with boys and literacy. So that, that is the overarching thing we have to solve. And luckily, these Helping Boys Thrive Summits, we go into a community, we bring all these people together, we energize them, we help them to understand what's really going on with boys, and yet in a girl-friendly way. In other words, we're not involved in a war. And, um, and I think that's why they like it so much, and that's why they, they then go back into their schools and say, oh, okay, uh, we can do this. We can do this minds of boys and girls training in the school because we're going to get help for both girls and boys. And what we're going to really be doing is staunching up also this huge loss of males. Um, uh, And that's kind of what was behind the hope that every community would one day have a Helping Boys Thrive Summit. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about that because there may be some parents of boys or grandparents of boys 
who are intrigued by this. They're looking at their sons. Uh, maybe their sons are young and they're thinking, how can I make sure that my school system is prepared for my son when he grows up? Or they may have teenage boys now and they're wondering how to keep their boys caught up. Um, and I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, but in my relationship with you, I feel like a defining moment for Helping Boys Thrive Summits, which we'll tease out here more in a moment, came back uh, in the Obama era, and this is not a criticism about Obama, uh, but he created a White House Council on Girls and Women uh, in the hope of making sure that we would uh, keep working on behalf of our daughters. Great. But the political pressure to start a Helping Boys or a, a uh, White House Council on Boys and Men, of which you were a part of, uh, was so strong against doing it that that never happened. Right. And and I think out of that, uh, my sense was out of that, that you said it's never going to happen top down. If we're going to help our boys, it has to happen grassroots in community after community of, of men and women, educators, parents coming together and say, let's talk about our boys. Let's share strategies with local groups and let's help our boys locally. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um the when when that happened when the white house council on girls and women was established and it was established a couple days after obama took office and it was it was uh, the brainchild of valerie jarrett and that team um you know obviously i think all of us especially like i have two daughters you know all of us are like well how wonderful that is such a wonderful thing and then thought well there'll be a white house council on boys and men and of course not only was there not but that team led by Warren Farrell, and I was I was one of the, the, the four lead authors of, of our meta study um, to present to the White House. All of us just ran into constant obstacles and it was all gender war. It was all no, no, no. Boys don't need it. Uh, boys have it all. You know, white men have it all, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All the tropes that everyone has heard. And um, so we couldn't get it done. And it, and it still hasn't been done. There's still no White House counsel on boys and men. Um, uh, some good things happened, but yes, it was right around then when I when I thought, huh, okay, I've worked most. I started in academia. I was 11 years um, a college uh, instructor, but then I moved Green Institute. I created a, this company to try to go into the grassroots, one school district at a time, one school at a time, because that's where I thought it needed to happen, and it sure got seconded by getting all that rebuff from the White House. And then in 2015, I was asked to go and to brief Congress members on the boy crisis. So I went and I did, you know, and and again, nothing happened. <laughs> you know, they just were like, well, it's politically too difficult to talk about boys, but thank you. Um, and so, so, you know, and meanwhile, you and I were already starting to do the Helping Boys Thrive. And then since 2015, we've been doing quite a bit with with this and and by the way folks can go to helpingboysthrive.org just go right to helpingboysthrive.org and you'll see how to do it what it what it needs you know and it, what it really needs is is some organizers and um and um you know a few organizers a little team and then some assets people who are willing to donate some money to make it happen and it's really not a lot but to donate some money or it needs the schools if the schools want to have it happen uh, you know, they can use title funds, they can use all the funds they have available since it's six hours of professional development. So all of that can be used. Um, there are all these ways to fund it and to bring it in. And that's where we're affecting change. Uh, we are absolutely, you're absolutely right. We're affecting change at the grassroots and gradually it'll trickle up uh, because because the big three, what I call the big three in, this, in Saving Our Sons, government, media, and academics, it's problematic for them. 
But for parents of sons, teachers having trouble with boys, preschools, you know, all of us and counselors, all of us in the grassroots, we get it. So we have to do it. So, so take us through a little bit what a, a day looks like, what this summit looks like, and what it could look like in a, a community. Yeah, people will see, if you go to helpingboysthrive.org, you're going to see various archived uh, summits that give various ways in which people have, have morphed it for their community. Um, uh, what usually, what well, what always happens is I do start the day, I will, I will give at least two hours of... Um, um, very entertaining, but also quite deep. Uh, I'll show PET scans, spec scans. So there's that that keynote in the morning. Um, there's some introduction before it, and then that keynote. And then lunch, you, Tim, will give one or two different keynotes um, on on rites of passage, on um, uh, if if people want to, on faith communities and how because faith communities are a big part of child development. Um, and then also. Uh, local trainers, local people will do uh, afternoon workshops on strategies for educating boys, uh, strategies for counseling boys, you know, specific topics that are of interest in that community. Um, and so it, that's that's a six-hour professional development day. And so each of the people who come get six hours of professional development. So that's kind of generally how it's laid out. So we've done these in, in a variety of settings. Uh, we've done it here in Phoenix a couple times. Um, we've had some times where government agencies have actually sponsored the entire event. And then, of course, registrations help uh, pick up some of the additional costs that come. Um, we've done it where my congregation was a major sponsor, even though it was not a Christian event. And then we got other sponsors. And um, and, and we, we have been finding, really, that uh, one of the best ways to do it is to try to do it uh, on a, a weekday, like a Friday, where teachers can get their professional day and come and be a part of it and join with parents, uh, behavioral therapists, coaches, and others, and uh, and just talk about these things that have to do with boys. And what I love about this particular summit uh, is that it is guaranteed to give you implement now strategies. So if you're a teacher, for example, you can go to this event on Friday and on Monday you can start to implement some of these things. Uh, if you're a parent, you can go home that night and start to implement some of these things with your son and even your daughter. Uh, if you're a faith-based community, you can go back on the weekend in Sunday school class or youth program and implement some of these things. So it's very hands-on. It's not theory-based. It's uh, science-based. It's uh, uh, very practical and um, extremely, extremely helpful for people. So we've been in uh, uh, the Phoenix area, we've been in Toledo, we've been in Washington. Uh, I know you've been other places as well when I haven't been there. And uh, so, it, and everywhere we go, uh, people are always just sort of gobsmacked, to use the word from England, uh, with <laughs> a, a, a lot of aha moments. Oh, well, no wonder my son is like that, or no wonder this is happening in my class, and this is what I can do about it. And... Um, uh, we've we've always just been blown away by the response that people have to this event. So um, one of the things that we want to encourage you, our listeners, to do is is if you uh, have a son and you think this is something that would be of great benefit not only to your son but the school your son attends, the church that you might attend, the synagogue, uh, and you feel like there may be some energy around this, uh, go to helpingboysthrive.org, get a little information, and then you can email me, tim at helpingboysthrive.org, tim at helpingboysthrive.org, 
and we can chat through these strategies for putting this thing together. Uh, what you get with me is not only a speaker, but I have put on these summits myself, so I know both sides of the summit, um, and uh, I know how to put them on and, and some of the places to get money, and Michael's got some great ideas. Uh, the title funds thing with schools is really a big one, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, if people are looking at, if you're connected to schools um, and, uh, you know, the schools can use title funds and there are many different title funds they can use um, because this is, as I said, six hours of professional development. So it, it qualifies. Um, so it would just be a matter of getting in touch with, depending on who you are, if you're a parent, getting in touch with the principal who would get in touch with the title fund coordinator. Um you know, so that is an avenue to look at. If the title funds are already used for professional development, then then you go other avenues. Um, but if the school's going to sponsor it, then then I think I think um, title funds are great. And also, if you know anyone who is a person of means, I, I have to tell you that this is how sometimes how it happens. There are people or corporations out there, and they want to donate, you know, toward a social cause. And, and often the person who is in, in touch with those funds or has those funds has a son who has been struggling and will say, okay, uh, I'm going to be the donor. I'm going to donate to make this happen. And, um, uh, and that's another way to make it happen. And if, it do, if it's done that way, it probably won't be done through the school system and the title system, but the parents uh, and the teachers will come to it. Um, but this may be done more through some other social organization. Uh, so, so you can you can access government funds, you can access donor funds, corporate funds. We're nonprofits, so anyone who wants to donate to make it happen, of course, uh, the Green Foundation is a nonprofit, and so the donations can work, the grants can work. Uh, we've seen it funded in all sorts of different ways. So we do these podcasts because we we both uh, are really committed to helping you as parents, grandparents, in in using the best of science and the best of best practices to raise your sons and daughters. Um, but we also uh, care deeply about bringing about some social change on behalf of our boys in particular, because not many people are working on them and our girls as well. And the Helping Boys Thrive Summit is a way to do that. And again, if you are interested at all in the possibility of what this summit might look like in your community, uh, check out HelpingBoysThrive.org. Get in touch with me at Tim at HelpingBoysThrive.org, and we will uh, see what we can do together to make a difference for your son and the boys in uh, your community. Uh, and uh, we, we would love to do that. And it would, it's a great way for us, too, to get out into the communities and meet you. So if we can help you in any way, please let us know. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for being an advocate for our boys and for uh, really forcing us to think through how we can help our boys be good men and our girls to be good, wise women. Appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Thanks for joining me. And we appreciate your listening. And uh, we hope that uh, this has been helpful, particularly for those of you who are raising boys and those of you raising girls, because it very well be that your daughters will someday be working with men, may even marry a man, and or have sons of their own. And, and we want to be available uh, through these podcasts and things like Helping Boys Thrive and our products to help you navigate all of that stuff. So we will be back with you again next week. Please check out our website, wonderofparenting.com, uh, for all the resources and a place to enter your questions. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, everyone.